Chapter 8 of Home Education Series, Volume 3, School Education. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rachel Vince. Home Education Series, Volume 3, School Education by Charlotte A. Mason. Chapter 8 certain relations proper to a child geology mineralogy physical geography botany natural history biology astronomy the whole circle of the sciences is as it were set with gates ajar in order that a child may go forth furnished not with scientific knowledge but with what huxley calls common information so that he may feel for objects on the earth and in the heavens the sort of proprietary interest which the son of an old house has in its heirlooms. We are more exacting than the Jesuits. They are content to have a child till he is seven, but we want him till he is twelve or fourteen, if we may not have him longer. You may do what you like with him afterwards. Given this period for the establishing of relations, we may undertake to prepare for the world a man, vital and vigorous, full of living interests, available and serviceable. I think we may warrant him even to pass examinations, because he will know how to put living interest into the dullest tasks. Dynamic Relations But we have not yet done with his relations with Mother Earth. There are what I may call dynamic relations to be established. He must stand and walk and run and jump with ease and grace. He must skate and swim and ride and drive, dance and row and sail a boat. He should be able to make free with his mother earth and to do whatever the principle of gravitation will allow. This is an elemental relationship for the lack of which nothing compensates. Power over material Another elemental relationship which every child should be taught and encouraged to set up, is that of power over material. Every child makes sandcastles, mud pies, paper boats, and he or she should go on to work in clay, wood, brass, iron, leather, dress stuffs, food stuffs, furnishing stuffs. He should be able to make with his hands and should take delight in making. Intimacy with animals a fourth relation is to the dumb creation, a relation of intelligent comprehension as well as of kindness. Why should not each of us be on friendly terms with the inmates of his house and garden? Every child longs for intimacy with the creatures about him, and he prayeth best who loveth best all things both great and small. For the dear God who loveth us he made and loveth all. The Great Human Relationships Perhaps the main part of a child's education should be concerned with the great human relationships. Relationships of love and service, of authority and obedience, of reverence and pity and neighborly kindness. Relationships to kin and friend and neighbor, to cause and country and kind, to the past and the present. History, literature, archaeology, art languages, whether ancient or modern, 
travel and tales of travel all of these are in one way or other the record or the expression of persons and we who are persons are interested in all persons for we are all one flesh and we are all of one spirit and whatever any of us does or suffers is interesting to the rest if we will approach them with living thought living books if we will only awaken in them the sense of personal relation there are thousands of boys and girls to-day capable of becoming apostles saviors great orientalists who will draw the east and the west together great archaeologists who will make the past alive for us and make us aware in our souls of men who lived thousands of years ago the awakening idea it rests with us to give the awakening idea and then to form the habit of thought and of life here is an example of what a youth could do young rawlinson had i quote from the academy from the outset of his career a taste for the history and antiquities of persia a leaning which he himself attributed to his conversations with sir john malcolm on his first passage to india and when with the shah's army he chanced to be quartered at kermanshah in persian kurdistan close to this stands the rock of behistun bearing on its face a trilingual inscription which we now know to be due to darius hystaspus the restorer of cyrus's empire the cuneiform or wedge-shaped letters in which it is written had long baffled all attempts to decipher them rawlinson contrived at the risk of life and limb to climb the almost inaccessible face of the rock and to copy the easiest of the three versions of the inscription a prolonged study of it enabled him to pronounce it to be in the persian language and two years later he succeeded in discovering the system by which the persian words were reproduced in cuneiform characters what is the result we can now produce the chronicles of empires more highly organized than was ever any greek state going back to dates millennia before that which our fathers used to assign to the earliest appearance of man upon the earth the changes of thought consequent upon these discoveries are incalculable and all are more or less due to rawlinson's climb up the face of the behistun rock which again was due to the awakening of an idea by his conversation with sir john malcolm human intelligence limited to human interests we are not all henry rawlinson's but there seems good reason to believe that the limit to human intelligence arises largely from the limit to human interests that is from the failure to establish personal relations on a wide scale with the persons who make up humanity relations of love duty responsibility and above all of interest living interest with the near and the far off in time and in place we hammer away for a dozen years at one or two languages ancient or modern and rarely know them very well at the end of that time but directly they become to us the languages of persons whom we are aching to get at and can only do so through the medium of their own tongues there seems no reason why many of us should not be like the late sir richard burton able to talk in almost any known tongue the full human life 
I think we should have a great educational revolution once we ceased to regard ourselves as assortments of so-called faculties and realized ourselves as persons whose great business is to keep in touch with other persons of all sorts and conditions, of all countries and climes, of all times, past and present. History would become entrancing, literature a magic mirror for the discovery of other minds, the study of sociology a duty and a delight. We should tend to become responsive and wise, humble and reverent, recognizing the duties and the joys of the full human life. We cannot, of course, overtake such a program of work, but we can keep it in view, and I suppose every life is molded upon its ideal. We talk of lost ideals, but perhaps they are not lost, only changed when our ideal for ourselves and for our children becomes limited to prosperity and comfort. We get these, very likely, for ourselves and for them, but we get no more. Duty not within the scope of present-day psychology. The psychology of the hour has had a curious effect upon the sense of duty. Persons who are no more than a state of consciousness cannot be expected to take up moral responsibilities except such as appeal to them at the moment. Duty, in the sense of relations imposed by authority and due to our fellows, does not fall within the scope of present-day psychology. It would be interesting to know how many children of about ten years of age can say the Ten Commandments, and those most clear interpretations of them which children are taught to call my duty towards God and my duty towards my neighbor or, if they are not members of the Church of England, whatever explanations their own church offers of the law containing the whole duty of man. With the Ten Commandments as a basis, children used to get a fairly thorough ethical teaching from the Bible. They knew St. Paul's mandates, love the brethren, fear God, honor the King, honor all men, study to be quiet. They knew that thoughts of hatred and contempt were of the nature of murder. They knew what King Solomon said of the virtuous woman, of the sluggard, of the fool. Their knowledge was not confined to precepts, from history, sacred and profane. They were able to illustrate every text. We in England have not the wealth of moral teaching carved in wood and stone, so that the unlettered may read and learn, which some neighboring countries rejoice in. But our teaching until the present generation, has been systematic and thorough. Casual Ethical Teaching I appeal to common experience as to whether this is now the case. We eschew for our children, and we often eschew wisely, all stories with a moral. Their books must be amusing, and we ask little more. Next after that, they must be literary, and then, perhaps, a little instructive but we do not look for a moral impulse fitly given. It is not that we give no ethical teaching, but our teaching is casual. If we happen on a story of heroism or self-denial, we are glad to point the moral. But children rarely get now a distinct ethical system resting on the broad basis of the brotherhood of man. It is something for a child only to recite, my duty towards my neighbor is to love him as myself and to do unto all men as I would that they should do unto me. 
a great many fine things are said to-day about the brotherhood of man and the solidarity of the race but i think we shall look in vain in modern writings for a sentence which goes to the root of the matter as does this authoritative code of duty the moral relation of person to person if we receive it that the whole of education consists in the establishment of relations then the relations with our fellow-beings must be of the first importance and all associations formed upon any basis except that of my duty towards my neighbour as upon sympathy in art or literature for example are apt to degenerate into sentimental bonds and the power of original thought appears curiously to depart with that of moral insight if you ask but how are we to get a scheme of ethical teaching for our children i really do not know if we choose to forego the ten commandments and the old-fashioned teaching of exposition and example founded upon them there are a thousand supplementary ways of giving such teaching but these are apt to be casual and little binding if they do not rest upon the solid foundation of duty imposed upon us by god and due to each other whether we will or no this moral relation of person to person underlies all other relations we owe it to the past to use its gains worthily and to advance from the point at which it left off we owe it to the future to prepare a generation better than ourselves we owe it to the present to live to live with all expansion of heart and soul all reaching out of our personality towards those relations appointed for us the sense of what is due from us does not come by nature we owe knowledge to the ignorant comfort to the distressed healing to the sick reverence courtesy and kindness to all men especially to those with whom we are connected by ties of family or neighbourhood and the sense of these dues does not come by nature we all know the vapid young man and the vapid young woman who care for none of these things but do we always ask ourselves why and whether there are not many children to-day growing up in good homes as untrained in their moral relations as are these young people whom we despise and blame perhaps more than they deserve for have they not been neglected children relations of oneself with oneself another preparation for his relations in life which we owe to a young person is that he should be made familiar with such a working system of psychology or philosophy whichever one likes to call it as shall help him to conduct his relations with himself and with other people the world is not ripe perhaps for a bona fide science of life but we are unhappily more modest than the ancients who made good use of what they had and turned out a marcus aurelius an epictetus a socrates neither did they think that their youth were furnished for life without instruction in philosophy modern scientists have added a great deal to the sum of available knowledge which should bear on the conduct of those relations of oneself with oneself which are implied in the terms self-management self-control self-respect self-love self-help self-abnegation and so on this knowledge is the more important because our power to conduct our relations with other people depends upon our power of conducting our relations with ourselves every man carries in his own person the key to human nature and in proportion as we are able to use this key we shall be tolerant gentle helpful wise and reverent 
the person who has given up expecting anything of servants or of dependents of employees or of working people proclaims his ignorance of those springs of conduct common to us all i think we may really take a little credit to ourselves as a society for an advance in this direction most people associated with us know something of the treatment of sensations the direction of the will the treatment of temper the psychology of attention the desires and affections which are the springs of conduct and other practical matters concerned with the management of one's life we hear of people who use that fine old nursery plan expressed in change your thoughts with method and success in the case of cross or even delirious or morbid patients we of the parents union feel as if we had a tool in our hands and knew how to set to work the principle anyhow we perceive to be right and if we blunder in its application we try again whether for ourselves or for our children we know that one custom overcometh another and that one idea supplants another we do not give up a child to be selfish or greedy or lazy these are cases for treatment and a child who has been cured by his mother of some such blemish will not be slow to believe when he grows up in the possibility of reform for others and in the use of simple practical means intimacy with persons of all classes sociology is a long word but it implies a practical relation with other people which children should begin to get and it is a kind of knowledge they are very ready for the carpenter the gardener the baker the candlestick maker are all delightful persons and it is surprising how much a child at the seaside will get to know about boats and sails and fishermen's lives that will pass by his unobservant elders most working men are on their honour with children and every craftsman is a valuable acquaintance to a child later when his working neighbours come before him in the shape of causes and questions he will see the men and their crafts behind the veil of words and in his book of trades a who's who for the million he will look out for the heading recreation for shoemaker tailor factory hand as well as for the distinguished author and the member of parliament there is nothing like early intimacy for helping one to know people that is why what the tuberator calls the bloated aristocrat knows how to get on with everybody he has been intimate with all sorts and conditions of men since his babyhood fitness as citizens the value of self-managed clubs and committees debating societies etc for young people is becoming more and more fully recognized organizing capacity business habits and some power of public speaking should be a part of our fitness as citizens to secure the power of speaking i think it would be well if the habit of narration were more encouraged in place of written composition on the whole it is more useful to be able to speak than to write and the man or woman who is able to do the former can generally do the latter relations with each other as human beings but the subject of our relations with each other as human beings is inexhaustible and i can do no more than indicate a point here and there and state again my conviction that a system of education should have for its aim not the mastery of certain subjects but the establishment of these relations in as many directions as circumstances will allow relation to almighty god 
i have set before the reader the proposition that a human being comes into the world not to develop his faculties nor to acquire knowledge nor even to earn his living but to establish certain relations which relations are to him the means of immeasurable expansion and fullness of living we have touched upon two groups of these relations his relations to the universe of matter and to the world of men to complete his education i think there is but one more relation to be considered his relation to almighty god how many children are to-day taught to say at their mother's knee to learn from day to day and from hour to hour in all its fullness of meaning my duty towards god is to believe in him to fear him and to love him with all my heart with all my mind with all my soul and with all my strength to worship him to give him thanks to put my whole trust in him to call upon him to honour his holy name and his word and to serve him truly all the days of my life whether children are taught their duty towards god in these or other words matters little but few of us will venture to say that in this short summary more is demanded than it is our bounden duty and service to yield but i fear that many children grow up untaught in these matters the idea of duty is not wrought into the very texture of their souls and duty to him who is invisible which should be the very foundation of life is least taught of all i do not say that children are allowed to grow up without religious sentiments and religious emotions and that they do not say quaint and surprising things showing that they have an insight of their own into the higher life sentiment is not duty but duty and sentiment are two things sentiment is optional and young people grow up to think that they may believe in god may fear god may love god in a measure but that they must do these things that there is no choice at all about the love and service of god that it is their duty that which they owe to love him with all their heart with all their mind with all their soul with all their strength these things are seldom taught and understood as they should be even where our sentiment is warm our religious notions are lax and children the children of good religious parents grow up without that intimate ever open ever cordial ever corresponding relation with almighty god which is the very fulfilment of life which whoso hath hath eternal life which whoso hath not is like coleridge's lovely lady geraldine ice cold and dead at heart however much he may labour for the free course of all other relations i want am made for and must have a god ere i can be aught do aught no mere name want but the true thing with what proves its truth to wit a relation from that thing to me touching from head to foot which touch i feel and with it take the rest this life of ours browning end of chapter eight recording by rachel vince